Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. I'm very excited to speak today with Brian Wiseman, who's a creative and accomplished professional with a variety of experience and an interesting career. Currently, is a building services CTE instructor at a county vocational and technical high school. He's a former Navy CB, a retail merchandiser, sales representative, fine carpenter, entrepreneur, and a man for all seasons. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to be our guest and sharing your story today. Thanks for having me, Sean. Excellent. So, Brian, there's there's a lot of things to cover during this interview. As you know, the purpose of this podcast is to discuss the career path, occupational choices, and opportunities of our guests. And it's been said that opportunities don't just happen, you create them. What we really want to talk most about is not only how you got started in your career, but how and why you were able to develop your career opportunities due to your knowledge, your interests, experience, and connections. In other words, what happened between the bullet points? So, um, first of all, I'd like to say I've had the pleasure of getting to know you over the past number of years, uh, as well as looking at your resume, and I can't help but notice that there are so many similarities and parallels between you and I, and of course, we'll discuss a few of those along the way as we go. But to get your whole story, we really need to go much further back to start this this interview with, uh, before you started collecting official paychecks. So, uh, so, obviously, we can understand what influenced you and your career path and your decisions and what formed the beginnings of your career path. So take us where it, it, it all started here. And, and I believe it's somewhere in Middlesex County. Absolutely. In uh, Piscataway, was it you grew up? That's right. I grew up in Piscataway, uh, New Jersey, and I graduated from Piscataway High School. Uh, when I was a kid, I always had a job. I mean, I was always, always working. And I was kind of recognized even among the adults as a hardworking kid. Like if they needed something done, you know, they would call me. And I'd go get my hand. And I was always kind of proud of that. And I think uh, a lot of that came from the fact that I was probably hyperactive uh, and not, it wasn't diagnosed. And fortunately for me, it was uh, after the uh, era of lobotomies and before uh, uh, Ritalin. So I sort of fell in between and no one knew what to do with me. Uh, So I was like a a crazy kid. I was, I was not. Uh... <laughs> that, that, and I can appreciate that, too. I think I must have had a little bit of the same, too. So tell me a little bit more you you about your family growing up and um, what was that like? And do you have other brothers and sisters or, yeah, yeah. or what did your did your parents have jobs? Oh, absolutely. My father was a you know white collar guy. He was an engineer. Okay. I graduated from Carnegie Mellon. So I come from a you know white collar background. Uh, my mom was a homemaker, but she was uh, over the top. Uh, mm-hmm. She uh, was president of the PTA. She was always doing something. Uh, and they learned early on with me 
that, you know, if they put me in the basement with a project that would keep me busy and probably uh, kept me out of their hair. So, all right, great. So they locked you in a basement for a while growing up. That's great. We did that. No, it's, it's only kidding. Only something I wish I could have done. No, I, I, I do. Uh, but obviously I'm, I'm looking at, you know, some of the stuff that, that you relayed here. And again, there's similarities, but I know exactly what it takes in here. And it's not just from, uh, you know, some ADD or something like that. For example, you had a, a paper route that you used to do. Uh, I didn't have a paper route, but I was a substitute uh, paper boy. So when the others went on vacation, I filled in. And i, I kind of glad that I didn't have the entire route. That was a lot of responsibility at a young age. Right. And the, uh, and, the route I know, had was actually... Rain or snow, right? Yeah, the route I actually had was the flyers. Okay. So I had like 300 flyers to deliver a couple times a week. And I took that over from my buddy. But uh, yeah, I had it for a couple of years. And I, I enjoyed being out early, you know, early in the morning and, you know, delivering those papers. Yeah, so you went from from having a paper route to kind of going into a construction job. That's right. Thirteen years old. That's right. Tell me a little bit about that one. My first my first construction job was uh, uh, working for a local builder. Uh, he uh, would put in uh, sump pumps on the side, uh, and we, me and two other kids, his kid and uh, the two of us. We would uh, jackhammer the trenches uh, in in the basement. So it was a 90-pound jackhammer. Two, you know, 14-year-old kids, one on either side of it, and the other kid would be carrying the waste out of the uh, basement in buckets. Mm. So it was it was tough. And the funny thing is, years later, I was probably in my 40s. I ran into that guy yeah. on a job. He was friends with a guy I was doing work for. And I was like, "You abused us." You you took advantage of us. You're he goes get, and they were both laughing at me. Two 75, 80 year old guys are like, get out of here. That was good for you. And you know they're right. It was good for us. Yeah, um, there's kind of a fine line between child labor laws and and, and you really want to work for your money and do things. So right, we had you, no hearing. You're jackhammering no. basements at 13 years old. That's that's you know no eye protection. My hearing's probably never recovered from that. But yeah, that's how I got into it. So I don't know why I was interested in uh, construction after that. Yeah. Well, you kind of fell into that, so that yeah. was that was nice. And then um, working as a custodian's helper. That's right. That's right. Uh, How'd you get that job? Uh, my sister was actually like a quasi-secretary for the uh, guy at uh, our high school, Mr. Marzullo, who was a career counseling guy, and he had jobs like that available. So she got me that job. So I could go, you know, five blocks up the street, and I'd help the uh, custodian in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. And in the summers, I'd be there all day, you know, cleaning furniture and doing all that. So it was it was great. I mean, it was right right up the street from the house. From the wow. house and, uh, wow, that's great. Yeah, it was a great experience, too. Yeah, and then you're working at UPS, unloading trucks. That's right. That's right. I think uh, all of my friends, we all had that uh, baptism of fire, working at UPS at least one Christmas season. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I did that one year. <laughs> that's great i tried to do that or i was going to apply to do that I, but to me uh i grew up in bridgewater uh which is a little bit away um but it wasn't as convenient right to get to ups as it was but uh definitely saw that and then by the time you're at the ripe old age of 18 you're driving an italian ice truck an italian ice truck that that was a very memorable summer <laughs> i spent the summer sticky and with a blue tongue <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you couldn't eat all the profits, though. No, I mean, no, but I was stuck in that truck all summer. It wasn't a job that I really uh, loved, but uh, yeah, we d- I did that for a summer. It was fun. That's good. Well, you're you're certainly you know hustling for some money and, and all that too. Well, uh, what do you what are you working so hard for at that age? What's what's the main drive for you? Uh, honestly, cash. You know, I always want to have cash in my pocket. 
And I tell, you know, I tell my students and my children, actually, that I really think you're the sum of those early jobs you have. I mean, it, that experience is so important. And it should be as varied as possible, I think. So, uh, you know. And I, I, I couldn't it. agree more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, which is why we start this interesting interview way back in the day. Because, right. because that really, that's what forms a lot of us, Absolutely. Uh, you know, from your family being a very good influence, getting you out there, maybe introducing you to people, uh, approving of what you're doing and kind of supporting you along the way in order to go do that and whatever it takes, you know, from driving us or whatever when we we're that age to maybe an interview or put in an application or something. Uh, and I know my parents kind of helped one or two of my jobs kind of put in a good word for me. Right. Absolutely. So that certainly helps. And we want to guide our kids much the same way that, that we were guided to. So, um, you know, obviously your family, your parents, your makings, your jobs, all they were, were very good influences on you. You went to Piscataway High School and not only having all those jobs, but you obviously were a pretty decent student uh, because I also see here that not only did you play varsity football, um, but you were also in the NHS, the National Honor Society. Um, and you did a few things through high school along the way, working as well. So tell me about your high school years and how that's formed part of that, you uh, know, your career decisions and, and ideas. Uh, you know, uh, in high school, I took building trades. We had like an exploratory uh, like we have in our school. And uh, I liked the building trades. So, I, you know, I, I, uh, my career was uh, building trades. Um, and uh, I actually got to go out my senior year on a CVE type program, which mm -hmm. is a work study. Okay. Uh, and it was something that I really enjoyed. The instructor was great, had a great influence on me, Mr. Hammerman, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was uh, a wonderful experience. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't trade it for anything. So you remember his name? That either tells me you have a great memory. Uh, or was that memorable that that it really kind of like stuck with you? So. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he was a great guy. Uh, but the name Hammerman, I always thought it was funny that he was teaching us how to, you know, carpentry. It's very appropriate. Yeah. So that he picked the trade because of his name or his name or whatever. So That's right. That was very good. Um, I can definitely, you know, relate to, to a lot of those things. But it was nice to hear that you were in a building trades program. Uh, come full circle, and we'll do this later on, too. But you're actually teaching, you know, a building trades program right now, building right. maintenance. So, But let's not get too far ahead of us right now, too. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're a decent student going through Piscataway High School. You're working hard. You go out. You're in a building trades program. Right. You get into CV. You're doing all that. And when you graduate high school, you make a pretty major decision to go on to your next step. So before we actually do that, <clears throat> let's let's consider. Tell me what's going through your head when you're kind of a junior, a senior in high school, and thinking about that next big step. You're going to leave high school and you're going to make some pretty serious decisions what happens next what's going through your head well to be honest with you i had made that decision pretty early on probably my freshman or sophomore year my father had been in the navy in world war ii he was on a pt boat and i always thought that was kind of glamorous so I, I thought the navy was uh you know an interesting way to go uh but i didn't want to just go in the navy even though i love ships and boats and that kind of thing i didn't want to just go into the navy just to go into the navy so uh when i realized there was a construction outfit in the navy called the seabees I thought that I could put construction together with being in the Navy and it would be a perfect fit. So uh, I really decided early on. I remember all my friends. I mean, I took the SATs and did all that, but I know my friends were all concerned about college, where they were going to go and all that. And I knew early on that I was going to the Navy. And I, I made it clear everybody knew I was going to the Navy. 
so, you know, there was really no question. Uh, and the reason I wanted to go uh, was for the experience, but for the travel. You know, I wanted to see the world at a young age. And, you know, I certainly did. I traveled all over the world in the Navy. Yeah, so let's we'll, we'll get into that yeah, in just yeah. one second. But um, I'm also curious, too, because around schools, we're, you know, I definitely encourage you to have the, the recruiters from the military come in and whatever branch it is. There's tons of opportunities, obviously, in the military for a lot of good reasons. You know, some people think, oh, you just go in and, and you prepare for war and, you know, you shoot guns and things like that. But obviously, we know that it's it's a lot more than just that. And you just mentioned you went into the Seabees Construction Battalion. Uh, and first of all, you knew about the CBs or you were told about the CBs. Uh, and not every recruiter from the Navy kind of tells people about the CBs. That's exactly so, right. So how did you come across that little nugget of information? You know, I probably saw the John Wayne movie uh, when I was young. So I, I was, you know, aware of what the CBs were. And when I took the ASVAB in high school, I did really well on it. And when I went to the uh, recruiter, they were trying to force me into the nuclear program. <laughs> And I told them I had no interest that I was here to be a CB. And they're like, well, we can't get you into the CBs. You know, it's a very small group and da-da-da. I said, okay. You know, I was in Plainfield. I said, I'll go to New Brunswick. I'll go to that recruiter. <laughs> so the guy said, okay, okay. Well, let's see if we can get you into CBs. So, that you know, that's really how I knew what I wanted to do in the Navy. And yeah. They finally gave in and let me do it. Wow. Yeah, the parallels are, are striking here because same same experience. I found a recruiter, actually. I found a reputable one that, that my sister recommended, actually. Uh, and, you know, he, he definitely knew about the CBs and talked to me about it, too. But, of course, after you take the ASVAB, uh, and they were pushing me into nuclear engineering as well. And it was a much big, bigger signing bonus and, and everything else. And they else. got a bonus. Yeah, it that. sounded very, yeah. very enticing. On the right. other hand, it's like, no, 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 no. I want to become an electrician and I want to be in the CB. So that's right. that's my path. But you became a builder, right? That's right. Okay. Yep. So um, boot camp in Orlando. Correct. Which at that time, there were three different boot camps, if I remember correctly. One in Orlando, one in San Diego, and one in uh, Great Lakes. That's correct. Which was uh, Great Lakes is the oldest and, and still the only one that is existing right now. Um, but if I'm looking at your resume correctly, that would have put you in Orlando maybe around the August time That's frame? That's right. I went in uh, August 30th, yeah. 79. So all I can say about that is hot hot and maybe hot yeah it was hot and actually the first the first day i got there they had a hurricane like uh they had a hurricane going across uh the caribbean mm -hmm. and we were trapped in the barracks for a week and we couldn't even we could just go to meals and back we didn't even get into boot camp and they were bringing refugees in there. It was a mess. Wow. Yeah, so that was the first week. But after that, you know, things straightened out. <laughs> yeah, the biggest thing I remember from uh, boot camp in Orlando is the orange weather flag days when it was too hot to cycle us outside right. on the blacktop uh, because we'd probably burn our hands on, on that. Uh, so they cycled us inside the air-conditioned barracks instead and made us raise the temperature yeah. in the barracks with our body heat and our sweat. Huh. Uh, so that was, that was kind of brutal. Uh, but of course, talking to my friends in the Marines, uh, they would tell me different stories about their boot camp, Absolutely. which was a little bit different. So that's all right. All right. So you become a builder in the Navy Seabees. That's right. And you went to A school out in California, which is the advanced training. 
Right. And uh, from there, you you actually go to a public works up in Alaska. That's right. <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about Alaska and kind of projects you worked on and, and did there. Well, the, the funny thing is, and then uh, when you get out of A school, you have a wish list, and you can go. You can ask to go wherever you want. Uh, so I said Alaska. I'm thinking, great. You know, let's go to Alaska. And ended up, they were like, yeah, we can send you to Alaska. We can send you to uh, ADAC. I didn't even know where I was going. <laughs> so uh, I get up there. It's probably one of the most isolated places in the world where there's actually people living. Mm. Uh, so we were, uh, I was there for a year. I was there for the whole year in 1980. And what we basically did, it was public works. We uh, put the buildings back together because it was so windy there. Mm. Things would blow down constantly. Windows would blow out. And we did basic maintenance. We did hot tar roofing. We did uh, uh, a little bit of concrete work. But uh, it was maintenance on these buildings. And a lot of the buildings that were left over from World War II, so they'd seen a lot of weather. But at the time, there was thousands of people there, yeah. a couple thousand people there in this outpost halfway to Siberia. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was great. I mean, it was a great experience. It was hard to be there as a 19-year-old. You know, you, you get lonely, and there weren't many young ladies there so uh you know there's a lot of guys but uh yeah i wish i could go back it's one place i wish i could go back and experience it i'm yeah. sure i'm sure my wife would be like and we're here instead of hawaii why <laughs> but, uh, yeah well you had a special experience there too. I would, i'd love to see it again <laughs> that's great so in the cbs here um you're either in, basically of one of two places you're either in base maintenance assigned somewhere like that right or you're in a mobile construction battalion uh, and you happened to, that was your next duty station, right? And that's at MCB 40, is it? That's right. MCB 40 was home ported in Port Wainimi, California. Uh, so after ADAC, I reported there. Uh, I was there for a few months until we deployed. Uh, and we would, we were on a schedule. Was, in the Navy, it's like a ship. So they say you're home ported and you deploy like a, like a ship would deploy on a cruise. Uh, so we would deploy uh, usually an eight or nine month deployment and we'd be back in California for four or five months. Uh, so I made, well, I was in a CBs, I made, or in a battalion, I made three deployments. Uh, the first one to Diego Garcia, which mm -hmm. isn't right in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Uh, the second one was to Siganella, Sicily. And the third one was to uh, Subic Bay in the Philippines. Nice. Okay. So um, you're in the Navy, you're in the Navy CBs, um, and you said something about a cruise. Did you, did you ever touch a ship? Uh, we would, we would visit ships. Like we'd, we'd go, we'd want to go on the ships and the sailors weren't too crazy about seas, <laughs> but we'd always try to get on and take a tour. Yeah. But we, like in the Philippines, we worked on a docks and there was a submarine to put in. We wanted to go on. They wouldn't let us on. But, uh, you know, we, we were on, uh, ships now and again, but just more for visits. Yeah. That's the, the one little unknown fact for most of the people they figure if you're part of the navy you're going to be on a ship absolutely and uh the navy seabees um hardly ever if at all actually touch ships unless it right. is for for visiting so yeah. <laughs> uh you're flown everywhere near to do construction so all right so out of all your experiences in the navy seabees base maintenance and uh going on nmcb 40 and deployments all over what kind of things are you doing? Now, now we call you a builder, and you said you're already putting buildings back in ADAC and all that too. But what other type of work projects are you doing? And and are you only doing building work, or are you experiencing more than that? Well, the interesting th thing about the CBs, uh, uh, other than like the uh, Army Corps of Engineers, which is more tactical, which uh, 
they would do more things on a battlefield, build like tactical bridges and that kind of thing. And the Air Force has a construction force called the Red Horse, and they would do a lot of uh, rapid runway repair. We actually trained with them for that. Mm. But what the Seabees do, and it was left over from World War II, they would build facilities. So we would go on to a base and we'd build barracks or we'd build a club or a, or a mess hall or a fire station. It was that kind of thing. It was, uh, it was like civilian construction, really. We'd, we were only allowed to do it overseas because of the Union, but uh, that's what we did all around the world. So my first project uh, was in Diego Garcia. We built a club, actually. It was all concrete block, uh, you know, poured concrete roof. So it was, uh, you know, it was a really good project. Uh, and I learned a lot from it. What was interesting about when I was in the Seabees, the Navy was trying to right or wrong at that time. Uh, Filipinos uh, were always welcomed in the United States Navy, but they were only allowed to have certain jobs uh, at that at that time up until when I went in. So they would be cooks or stewards, but they weren't allowed to have regular jobs. Well, they righted that wrong before, just before I went in. So we had these gentlemen, these uh, higher-ranking guys, who had been in for 30, some 40 years. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really know anything about construction. They were more managers. So we were 19, 20, 21-year-old kids, and we had a lot of responsibility dropped on us because we knew how to do construction. So uh, by the time I was 22, I was running multi-million dollar projects in the CBs, uh, which is a great experience. Yeah. And we did things then, Sean, that I would have pause to do today. Some of the complicated concrete pours and... I mean, it was it was really, uh, you know, high end, high end stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I really cherish that experience. It's really paid off, you know, in my career. Yeah. Just having that responsibility, you know, being so young. So what's the CB motto? Can do, baby. Can do. Can do. So uh, any of you out there, if you haven't seen John Wayne and the Fighting Seabees, uh, please go pick up a copy, go check it out, download it, get it on Netflix, whatever the case is. Uh, but truly an inspiring movie and something that we all, uh, fellow CBs, had to watch uh, at some point, either A school uh, or, or somewhere along the line there. Uh, but it was good. So, also, you're in NMCB 40. Sorry, I don't want to misspeak here. And you're not always deployed. So, you're kind of like in home port for a while and then right. you're deployed somewhere around. So, while you're in home port, I noticed that you can't stand still, so you're you're taking some college classes here, correct? Absolutely. And what do you what do you take? What kind of classes are you taking? What are you taking it for? Well, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, go to college once I got out of the Navy, so I took I tried to take all my basic courses in the Navy, all the one hundred ones, and then move up from there, so I'd have the base uh, when I actually went to college, and it worked out very well. Uh, they had uh, professors from different universities that would travel overseas and teach us. So I took courses from USC, from University of Maryland, uh, and they were top-notch professors. They were just looking to get out of the country for three months and, you know, be in another country. And uh, they were happy to be there, and we were happy to have them. Good. So it was great. <clears throat> Plus, I went to community college in uh, California, uh, Ventura County College, yep. which was right near the base. All right. So, again, I'm going to just stop you there for a second and just, just ask you, um, obviously you're thinking you're not going to make the military your career. Right. You're, you're going to get out at some point and, and probably in the nearer future than, than long term. Um, so, again, you're taking college classes. You knew you wanted to go to college. But, again, what are you thinking right now? Like, what's your future looking like in your head? What's your career opportunities? Where, do you, where are you thinking that possibly this college degree could take you? Uh, 
when I was in the service, I was thinking about construction management. Uh, so, uh, you know, that was kind of my focus. Uh, we did a lot of planning, a lot of uh, advanced stuff in the CBs that would help us plan the jobs. And I was, uh, you know, I enjoyed that. And I thought that would be my career uh, when I got out. So I figured I would pursue a college degree uh, in that direction. Okay, good. Fair enough. So you get out, you go to college at that point. Right. Uh, I went to Rutgers University. Mm -hmm. That's right. And while I was there, I actually uh, was offered a job as a merchandiser. Uh, so the same time I was going to college, I was working for a, a Fortune 500 company, uh, running around to stores, building displays and, and that type of thing. How, how did you get that job? You said you were offered a job, you took it, but it there's got to be a story here. Yeah, it's through a friend. Through a friend. It's like, hey, I got this position. You know, do you, you, know, you want to do this? You could do this at the same time. And it was the same time that I was doing, I was doing construction work you know, while I was in college. I, would, mm -hmm. I was doing masonry work and some carpentry. I was working as a bouncer at a bar. And at the same time, <laughs> I'm doing this, uh, I started doing this merchandising thing. And what are you majoring in college? Uh, I was majoring in English, actually. Okay. Yeah. So you're majoring in English, you're working as a bouncer in a bar, you're doing <laughs> construction work, and you get a job working for a Fortune 500 company and doing what exactly? Yeah, merchandising is, uh, you know, you run into stores, you, you build displays, uh, you make sure that you have uh, proper facings. You know, if your company was awarded so many facings of, like one of our products, Advil, you know, if you only had three, you're supposed to have six, then you, you know, talk to the person and see if you can reset that, you know, to get your proper facings. Facings in, uh, are everything in a food store. Mm. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, so that that was my job. I just ran around and did that. Uh you know, uh, food stores, uh, chain drugs, that kind of thing. Okay. And now you move on to your first full-time job. Right. So job. actually the full-time job actually started before I was done at Rutgers. It was, uh, you know, working for the same company, Whitehall Laboratories. They offered me a job as a full-time salesman. So, you know, here I am, you know, I have a car now. I'm making decent money. And I'm running around to wholesalers. Uh, in Hudson County, mostly. My, my territory was Hudson, as Essex County, New Jersey. But I'm running around to these wholesalers and uh, small chain drugs and selling the product. So it was like a whole different world. I mean, you're trying to sell this product into them. And it was a whole technique of using, uh, you know, advertising. Like if, if you had, you could be running big ads during the Super Bowl, you'd go in and say, listen, you know, we're running this ad. We have this print advertising. I think we should bring in more product, you know, so you're always trying to up, up your numbers. And I, I actually enjoyed it because it was so competitive. Mm -hmm. It was not only competitive within the company, but you were competing with other companies. I worked for Whitehall Labs. There was McNeil. There was uh, Bristol-Myers. And we all had the same kind of product. So we would we'd be competing uh, with them as well. So uh, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun. So this uh, company, Whitehall Laboratories, and, and they're making things like Advil, Anison, Tristan, Preparation H, all these, and, and that's what you're selling. Right. Okay, good. So I, I see how all this connects together. I, I don't, but that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's what makes us so interesting. Uh, and how many, how many years are you being a sales rep for Whitehall Laboratories? Uh, I think it was two years, a little under two years. Good. So are you thinking at this time that like, hey, I'm, I'm a salesman and this is what I'm going to sell and this is going to be it and I'm going to live happily ever after? No, more what I was thinking is the money was pretty good. And, uh, you know, I had worked out ways that, uh, you know, I could win competitions and stuff. So I was doing well, but I'm like, you know, this isn't really what I want to do. Yeah, I really want to be making something with my hands. You know, I, I really missed 
producing things. Mm-hmm. You know, building a display and putting so many dozens of pills on it, you know, it just wasn't really fulfilling for me, although the money was good. So uh, I started thinking about, you know, what else I wanted to do. I said, well, you know, if I stay in a sales field, maybe there's some kind of construction uh, sales. You know, there's always headhunters calling you, you know, trying to get you to, uh, you know, uh, interview for another job. So uh, I told the headhunters, I said, listen, I'd like to get into some kind of construction sales. So, you know, there were companies that sold and rented scaffolding and, you know, things like that, which I wasn't really interested in. But then there was a small company in Maryland, uh, north of Baltimore, that, mm-hmm. uh, stair company. And I had built stairs before, uh, wooden, and I'd even poured concrete stairs. Uh, so I understood, you know, how to, how to do stairs. Uh, I said, you know, maybe I should go interview for this. So I, I drove down, interviewed, hit it off with the president of the company, like we were, we, like we were old friends. Uh, really, uh, you know, got on well. And he, he knew I came from, you know, a Fortune 500 sales background. He couldn't believe I knew how to make stairs. So he was, you know, he was, he's like, well, how did you know, you know, how do you know that? And I, I told him about my background, you know, in construction and the CVs and all. So, uh, you know, it was kind of, kind of a cool thing. And, and I worked there for less, probably less than a year uh, before I actually went out on my own. But, uh, you know, I'd learned a lot there you know, about, uh, you know, selling into job sites. Mm-hmm. And from my sales experience, I learned a lot in my sales experience, not only from the company, but I learned from the people I was selling to. I never real, realized uh, retail wholesale, how that really worked. And, you know, if you bought something wholesale from a manufacturer and then you could sell it retail, you know, there's a lot of profit to be made there. Mm-hmm. So I learned that from my customers uh, more than the company. Yeah. So... Once once I started working for the stair company, I saw that there was, you know, there was a need for someone actually to do the work in the houses because sometimes I would sell material to a builder and he couldn't find anybody to do the actual work to, to you know, to put it together. And a couple of times I was stuck. I'd sold stuff in to a job and they didn't have anybody. So I started doing it like on the weekends. I'd say, OK, I'll take care of this house for you, but you got to find somebody else. So I'd figure out how to do it. And I. You know, I had fine woodworking magazine in one hand and I'm, you know, so I figured out how to do it. And I'm like, you know, I could make a good living at this. And there seems to be a need for this because no one can find anybody to do this work. Because the housing, the housing had changed by then. It was more center hall colonials with these fancy stairs, which really mm-hmm. hadn't been the case for, you know, what, 100 years since right. the Victorian area. Yeah. I mean, it was metal railings and it was, you know, box stairs. There was no nothing fancy. But all of a sudden in the 1980s, you know, these they're building these center, center hall colonials and there's nobody to do the work. Because these old men that knew how to do it are all retired. So it was kind of a niche. So yeah. I said, you know, this is an opportunity. So I left that company and I started my own business doing that's, just that. that. That's wild. That's a, a leap of faith right there. But uh, just to, to touch upon the, your stair story, uh, you know, I know my own personal experience that you know, I, I would, I, you know, making stairs for my back deck right. is, is hard enough, you know, in, in some things. And of course, you got to figure out some stuff. Uh, we've renovated a couple of homes and we built a brand new home in our past. Uh, and the hardest person to find uh, professional on that uh, is going to be that, that fine wood craftsman uh, and the stair builder, right. you know, to build the railings and the stairs and all that too. And it was really, really difficult. We, we ended up finding, you know, luckily a person for each job, uh, but they don't come cheap. Uh, they're certainly worth every penny that you pay them. 
uh, if they do a good job. Uh, but certainly still a niche today and probably will continue to be. So. Absolutely. All right. So now you're going to enter the world. You've, you've done a number of things so far. You've, you've guided a lot of stuff and you're all over the map. But there, there's a, a string of consistency through here, too, uh, that we definitely see. So now you're going to go on your own. Like I said, a leap of faith, you know, to, to sell jobs yourself, although you have sales experience, to build things uh, that people need and you have experience being a builder. So a lot of it seems right. All right. But are you ready to make that move? Or are you the, the kind of guy that like, hey, I'm just doing it and going for it and check with anybody. You got support. Uh, you know, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? Uh like you said, it's a leap of faith. Uh, I guess I couldn't have done it if I didn't have some connections from the sales. I mean, there were a couple of jobs that I'd already sold into and they couldn't find anybody. I said, listen, I'll do it. What do I need to do? They told me what to do. So I set it up and I just started doing it. And I started doing it just myself. You know, a truck, a generator, you know, some tools. And that was it. I just started. Good. Yeah. Okay. And that's what you concentrated on for a little while, right? Absolutely. Uh, I was in business for... Over 25 years. Good. That's that's significant. So what's your next step then? Uh, my next step is my knees are getting sore. <laughs> and I'm um, you know, thinking, you know, I probably can't do this for my entire life. You know, I had as, as many as 10 employees, but it didn't mean that I was sitting in an office, uh, you know, running this. You know, there's a there's an area, you know, between being very small and medium sized where, you know, you don't get to sit in the office. And that I never made it out of that. You know, I didn't really want to make it out of that spot because I wouldn't have control over the quality of the work. But, you know, it does wear on your body, you mm -hmm. know, bringing tools into the house every day and, you know, making sure everything's right. And so I was I was definitely uh, started thinking about other things. Uh, one of the one of the things that, uh, you know, I was thinking about teaching. I mean, uh, I was certainly. Uh, Thought about teaching at a, at a Votech or a high school, just like uh, Mr. Hammerman had done. I thought that was, uh, you know, pretty cool. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, there was a, I was offered a job, interviewed for and offered a job. I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you, uh, for the Macy's Day Parade hmm. as the head carpenter. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was all excited about that. I mean, I'm, I'm a creative person. You know, it would have been a great thing until they told me what they were willing to pay. And I was like, you know, it just cost me 15 bucks to get up here to Moonaki on the turnpike. I said, I can't work for that. So, uh, unfortunately, I had to turn it down. But once once I turned it down, I, was, it, you know, I said, you know, there's got to be something else that I could do to apply my skills. And, you know, I had uh, done a lot of coaching with my kids. You know, I, I always enjoyed being around the kids and coaching and doing that type of thing. And so teaching started looking like a possibility. So you had a, a good teacher when you were back in high school Absolutely. and uh, that was a big influence on you too. And you, it, it came into your mind to be or possibly be a teacher. Um, knowing what you know now, and of course we, we're going to get in more, some more details, you know, did you, did you have a good picture of what a teacher does and, and what they're doing, you know, looking back at it now as, as you were then? Uh uh, pretty pretty good, I think. Uh, I have a sister who was a graphic artist and ran her own business. And she uh, started teaching in Newark uh, at, a, at a regular high school, though, but she's a graphic arts teacher. Uh, and she was encouraging me and telling me what it was like and saying, you know, you, you got to look into this. She said, you'd be great at this. You know, she kept encouraging me. So, uh, 
you know, that's when I started looking, you know, for a, a teaching job. Okay. And then somehow you came across an ad? I have posting? to say my wife came across the ad for East Brunswick Votech. It was my <laughs> wife. I give her all the credit. She came across the ad. Uh, she said, you know, they're looking to hire someone at East Brunswick Votech. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I have, you know, what they're looking for. She's like, listen, you got to apply. You got to apply. You got to apply. So I applied. And it was very late in the year. Uh, it was, I think, the middle of August. And I applied. And I didn't really think I'd hear. But I heard from the assistant superintendent. He called, like, the next day. He's like, you know, can you come in? I would just like to meet you. I read your resume. You know, it looks interesting. So I, you know, I came right in. And I think I met with you the next day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like a done deal in a week. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be a teacher now. <laughs> yeah. Here so, we go. <laughs> so that's it. You know, I and and here I will um, kind of go off a little bit too on on some of my my thoughts, my pet peeves, and and whatnot. Is uh, I think we have a crisis in CTE in career and technical education, uh, and you know it's on a couple levels, but it's all about finding good teachers. And when we come across a resume or an application or something that that looks as dynamic as something like yours, it's a no-brainer. And that's why it's wrapped up in a week. You know, you get this. And I I remember uh, the assistant superintendent at the time was named Paul. And Paul called me and he's like, you got to see this. I'm sending it to you right now in an email. And and I looked at it and, and he and I both are like, you know, call the guy. You know, let's get him in here. Let's talk. You know, we have a need. And um, we're always looking for, you know, because it's, it's critical. If we don't have a, a teacher in the room, we can't have a program. Uh, the better teacher we have, the better the program is. So that means it's opportunities for students, students to learn, students to get jobs, students to have successful careers. And, and that's of primary importance to us. That's our mission. So, you know, when we post jobs, you know, it's that's our leap of faith in a way. And, and I always bring it back to, well, we have to find the right ponds to fish in uh, to really snag the big fish that we want. And it's a difficult thing in many different ways. First of all, just posting something on the Internet, on some job sites or in the newspaper or whatever the case is, you're you're hoping that the right person is going to look at that ad. In this case, your wife came across it and she brought it to your attention and he said she she told you you got to do it. And you had, you know, enough gumption to listen to your wife and and actually follow through and send it in and, and do that. Um, and it's and it's kind of a another marriage made in heaven actually here, which is great. Uh, I can put it that way because it's 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 great to have you in, in the program and doing that. And and again, we'll go into more details, but um, that right there, that, that whole process is almost like magic in a way, um, because it's that pond and it's the fishing and how do, you know, what's the correct bait we're using and putting it out there. I've reworded postings and then I wonder where to put it. If we're looking for a nursing teacher, then there are some nursing journals and things like that, that some of those professionals read. And we put an ad in the back of those as well as everything else. And we've gotten some good responses. You know, if we're looking for a carpenter or, you know, building maintenance teacher or, you know, an auto mechanic, it's like, what are we doing? You know, what what's the chances that someone who's happy day to day, and, and I know you're pretty busy being an entrepreneur and you're working on stuff and you're in people's houses every single day. Do you really have time to sit there and, and look for another job, you know, or happen to come across something else? So that's our crisis in CTEs is, is, you know, having jobs. And if we 
get more than one, two, three resumes sometimes in a case to apply for a job, you know, we're, we're looking pretty good. I would love to have the opportunity to, you know, when I was an elementary principal, uh, that I, you know, put a job posting out there for an elementary teacher, it's, you know, you can get 50, 60, 70 resumes, uh, because there's a, there's a lot of them out there that, that all wanted the job. But how many times do you come across a building maintenance teacher, a carpenter, you know, an auto trades teacher, uh, or anything, you know, that we have in CT that is of primary importance to teach these programs, people from the field. And that's the next part too, which is part of the crisis that most people in the field are making some pretty decent money. And teaching can pay some decent money, but oftentimes it's not as much money uh, as that. But we do have some other benefits and, and some things, too. So you work pretty hard during the year. And I know you do some side business every now and then uh, during the year a little bit and Absolutely. maybe a little bit during the summer. So yep. tell me how that all works together. Uh, you know, it works uh, really well, actually. Uh, you know, I, it's nice to be able to pick and choose what you want to do now. You know, uh, if we're on break, you know, Christmas break or Easter break, you know, I can do a tile job or I can do, you know, some carpentry, masonry. Uh, in the summer, uh, I work pretty hard. I mean, I, I did a nice basketball court last year. I did, a, you know, several tile jobs, some bathrooms uh, last summer. Uh, so it, it really fits together well, I think, because uh, I can pick and choose. And I know that, you know, my income and my benefits are secure, so I don't have to worry about that. I mean, by the time I was, uh, uh, just before I came here, we were paying, uh, you know, $2,500 a month just for our family for uh, health insurance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a big, that's a big chunk on top of all the other business insurance. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just nice to know that, you know, you just have a, you know, a steady income here and you can do what you want otherwise, you know, in your free time. Good, good. So that's, that's important. And we have a good teacher. You're happy uh we've got good benefits and decent pay and yet you can still have a life you can have your personal life your family you're not home you know after way after it gets dark because you're working on a customer's house absolutely and you can pick and choose some of those other side projects whether it's for yourself or whether you're working for a customer here and there right. too so you have that so if you were to kind of translate that for other people that may or may not be thinking about possibly teaching uh, but they're not they're out in the field yet right. you know what what kind of things would you tell them that um, they would need to know, you know, that you've learned since being here, since becoming a CTE teacher, not only about the side business or benefits, mm -hmm. but what's what's the classroom and lab environment? What kind of projects and, you know? Probably the thing I like uh, most, uh, other than working with the kids, uh, the thing that I like most here is the creativity. Uh, you know, when I was in business, I'd have to turn work away sometimes because I knew, although I wanted to do the job, I couldn't make money. I couldn't make enough money at it. I knew that that job wouldn't pay. We're here. We can do all kinds of cool projects, and I don't have to worry about the bottom line. So since I've been here, we've built a boat, a beautiful ma mahogany boat. We've built a spiral stair. I never built a spiral stair before because spiral stairs you can get very cheaply on the market. You can get a wooden one for four grand, a metal one for twelve hundred bucks. So it never never would pay to build it. But here we could build it. So I got to build a spiral stair here, which was great. The kids loved it. Uh, we and we've done you know a, a lot of other products here that are just very creative. Uh, and it doesn't matter. You know it can take a week. It can take three months. And it you know there's no bottom line other than the kids learning and you having fun with it. So uh, you know that's probably what I like best about here because no one no one 
really questions. I mean, I'll have to check if I'm doing a project, something really out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll check with the principal to make sure it's okay. But no one has said no to any project that I proposed here since I've been here. So it's uh, it's great. I mean, I love the creativity. Well, speaking of those projects and, and the very interesting things, now tell me about the student side of it, about student learning and student success that, that you've witnessed or you've helped facilitate that in there. What about, you know, their learning in, in your program and leaving and graduating, moving on to other things and, and being applying all this? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, you know, the point of my program, our program is uh, varied. We do a lot of different things. We do carpentry, masonry, electric, plumbing. We do a lot of different things, landscaping. Uh, and my goal is to get the kids to learn how to work with their hands, no matter what they're doing. It, I think it's a lost art among adults, let alone kids. I mean, all kids know how to do is push the buttons on their phone. I mean, they really don't know how to work with their hands. So I just like to get the kids working with their hands, whether we're cutting, whether we're even digging, moving rocks. I don't, I don't care what it is. Get them working with their hands and, you know, teaching them. So, uh, you know, since I've been here, I mean, I've had kids go off to NJIT to uh, into the Carpenters Union, Electrical Union. Uh, you know, the kids have been successful. I mean, they've, they, uh, uh, they've really, I think they've done well. I mean, several kids I follow all the time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think, think that's really the point, what the kids are going to do with their life. And I tell my own children that, you know, it's not about where you go to college, what's your grade point average. It's what you're doing to, uh, you know, be productive in society and that you're happy. Those are the two two key things. If without those two things, you know, you really have nothing, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I've been real proud of the kids that have graduated from our program. That's great. So when you were back in high school in Piscataway, and, and you were in the program, and your your teacher, Mr. Hammerman, Hammerman, uh, right. that you know, did you ever think back then that you could be in his place? <laughs> <laughs> no way. As, as a matter of fact, this uh, past winter, my, I have two older sisters, and they tracked down the principal of our grade school, K through 8, uh, a nun. We went to the Catholic school, and we went to visit her in January, right before the uh, coronavirus hit. And she confirmed that I was not only the worst kid when <laughs> I was in the school, but I, I was the worst kid of all time from that school. So you know, people are horrified when they hear that I'm a teacher. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> my siblings are horrified. You know, my past teachers. But I think it really works because, you know, I can relate to the kids. And I know that they're sitting in those seats squirming just like I, I was. And they want to do things. You know, they want to do creative things. They want to do fun things. And that's that's what I try to give them, you know, while they're here. No matter what we're doing, I try to make it fun and interesting. And, you know, and that's my goal. That's great. That's great. I, again, I can identify. Uh, I remember when I was in college and going for teaching at uh, Trenton State, which at the time was now College of New Jersey. I started an industrial arts program, uh, which has morphed into the technology education program. But I remember going back to my middle school, and I think it was my Spanish teacher uh, that, you know, again, I was not the star student in the <laughs> class, I'll, I'll say. Uh, and she asked me what I was doing, and I told her exactly what I was doing, going to college for teaching. And and the look on her face <laughs> at that moment, how her face just completely dropped and I think went pale, uh, pretty much told me everything I needed to know of what she thought about me when I was a student. So um, it, it confirmed it, I'll put it that way. And, and that's okay, uh, because... 
I, like you, have had a lot of varied experience. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, a career path is generally uh, not a, a linear thing. It's going to bounce around. You're going to get a lot of experience. You're going to have interest and varied interest, and you're going to gain knowledge from a lot of things. And obviously, speaking with you today and looking at your resume and covering a lot of ground, uh, there's a lot of stuff in your background, and, and it's all good stuff, and it all culminates. So do you feel right now, would you agree that, and you started saying this in the very beginning, that you're you're sum of all your experiences, Absolutely. and that right now in your point in, in your life, in your occupation, in your career path, maybe in your personal life, and, and where you're at right now, you know, you're putting all those things, all that knowledge, all that experience, all those connections, you're putting it all together and, and kind of using it, it all, correct? Right. Yeah, there's, a, there's an old saying, they say, you know, if you if you look backwards, you know your your path can be you know uh, multi-directional, but when you look forward, it's all going right to where you end up. You know, it's a straight line. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I think that's very true. My uh, actually, my son uh, graduated from West Virginia University, and when he got out, uh, you know, he was interviewing for jobs, and just like his friends were at the same time, and. Uh, you know, a lot of them were sitting at home, sitting around a pool, you know, sending out resumes and stuff. Where my son took a job, a job that he wasn't interested in having forever. He took a job for an energy drink company and they gave him a car. We called it the clown car. It had like, you know, signs on the side of the car. And he went out for about six months up to Hudson County, Essex County, into these little bodegas selling in this energy drink. And I've never been more proud of him. And he was, uh, you know, kind of a quiet kid, but this opened him up. I mean, he's in selling this stuff, and he's doing great. They loved him. They, he, he, he was like their top salesman. And finally, he got a job that, you know, he wanted, you know, more on his career path, and he took it. And they were mm-hmm. sorry to see him go. But I was never more proud of him because he went out and did that and, and added that to his experience. That's great. That's yeah. a nice feeling. And, and yeah, you certainly are supportive, a good dad and good uh, example out there, a role model. And I know you're a role model for your students and you run a a great program and uh, you're a much better teacher, uh, you know, professional for all the experiences that you've been through. Uh, And and it's just some great stuff there, though. So uh, thank you. This has been a wonderful interview. Uh, I think it's got a lot of great examples out there, a lot of interest. And I know the the maybe younger people kind of tend to think like, you know, I'm. I'm going to become this, so therefore I'm going to go directly into whatever that is. And and again, it's not always the case. So to get from point A to point B, you might have to juke and jive and, and make a few twists and turns and, and whether you want to or not. Uh, but sometimes it's a very, very good thing to, to do those and, and make those points, like you just said with your son. Absolutely. So And you're a man of all seasons. <laughs> yeah, thank and you, I Gerald. look to uh, the future. To see many more good things happen, you're you're certainly not at the end of your career by any means. Thank you so much. That wraps up this episode of Between the Bullet Points. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of The Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points.